Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us, that you do bring life and light into our life because of the power of your word and how it speaks to our heart and to our spirit, our soul. So, Lord, we just fix our eyes on you and your word right now. Speak to us today, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we started a new series last week. If you're away, I'll do a quick recap. We are going through, it's a very Baptist thing to do, but we're going through the Gospel of John. Uh, so I thought, why not? You know, not many Pentecostal churches pick a book and go through. We've done it a, a fair bit here, haven't we? Uh, those of you that have been with us for a while. And I think it's good because, you know what, we can take some scriptures and, and make it match our message and, and that's great. But I think seeing the context of the Word of God is so important. Because we can take one little scripture and perhaps even misinterpret it a little bit, take another. But when we look at it in its entirety, I think it's a blessing. So we're doing this, let's talk about Jesus, and we're journeying through the Gospel of John. So what is the Gospel of John all about? I'm so glad you asked. Obviously, it's about Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good start. But it talks about four main themes. Uh, the first one is existence, Jesus' existence before he was born here on earth. It's a bit challenging to get our finite minds around the fact that Jesus was actually in existence before he took on flesh here. Um, Secondly, miracles, the power of God at work through Jesus. You hear about a lot of his miracles that he did throughout his ministry. You also hear about his teaching, um, Jesus' private teaching with his disciples. So I figure we're talking about beholding him and gleaning from him and learning from him. What better way than to look at his teaching and what he taught his disciples so that we can glean from that and learn from that. And then the last one, of course, is death and resurrection. Uh, Jesus died and he rose again. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's our, the element of our faith, the central focus, the fact that Jesus conquered um, death. So our journey through the gospel, there's three parts uh, in the gospel of John. The first part talks about Jesus' public ministry, chapters 1 to 12. And then chapters 13 to 18, it talks about his private ministry. And then the third part, his death and resurrection, um, chapters 19 to 21. So last week, very quick recap, because we've got lots to get through. Uh, Jesus before his birth. Uh, we looked at John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know, Jesus gave up his home in heaven. We talked about this last week. He, he gave up face-to-face contact with God to come to this place, to the earth, to show us what God is actually like with skin on. And he traded a place where everything is perfect in heaven. He traded that place to come to a place where sin and suffering are prevalent. And sometimes we look at Jesus and we remember the sacrifice he made on the cross. And I'm not uh, taking any value away from that at all. That is so fundamental to our Christian belief. But one of the sacrifices I think that we don't give enough attention to is that Jesus left perfect heaven and came here into a sinful world. What a sacrifice that was to come and be God with skin on. So that was a huge move for Jesus to do that. Uh, Then we talked about uh, Jesus being the ultimate creator. John 1 verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then we talked about life and light from the source, that Jesus is the source of all life and light. Verses 4 and 5, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. We sung about it today. And the darkness did not 
comprehend it. And we gave that example of, you know, being stuck in the forest and it's pitch black, there's no moonlight, there's no smartphone to turn the torch on. So you're in a dark place and uh, you can't find your way out, you're lost, you don't know what's up, down, left, right. But then you see off in the distance a man with a torch coming and he comes and meets you and says, hey, I know this forest really well, follow me and I'll lead you home. And it's just like Jesus uh, into our community of people that are in the dark that don't know the way out. They're meandering around trying to find their own way out in their own strength, but they need light, don't they? And Jesus is the source of all light. And then we talked about even further how we carry the light of Christ. When we say yes to Jesus, it becomes part of who we are. And we become those people that help lead people out of the darkness by sharing the message of Jesus with them. Then we talked about John the Witness, so John the Baptist, uh, not to be confused with John the author, who's writing this gospel. Verses 6 to 9 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So John the Baptist came to, to prepare the way for Messiah to come, to introduce the Messiah. And then we've used this phrase already, but God with skin on. Uh, John 10, 1, 10 to 13 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." You know, what an incredible experience for Jesus to come to his own creation, because remember, he created all that was created, and be rejected by it. Yeah. That's intense, isn't it? Uh, we then went on to talk about, um, uh, no, that was it, that's, that's where we stopped. We hit the pause button because we were running out of time. So we're going to continue today, Jesus the Word. That's what chapter 1 is revealing to us, that Jesus is the Word. And we're going to pick it up from verse 14 now. And uh, who got my text message? It was yesterday, a little bit late. I should try and text you a bit earlier, give you a bit more time. But uh, I will try and do that so that you can have a look at these scriptures before you come today, which is good. And uh, if you're not on our text list and you're not getting my messages, fill out our Connect card or go online and connect with us. And that way we can include you in that as well. Just so you know where we're heading each Sunday and you can pre-read. Then you could teach me. I could just sit down. That'd be so good. So John, chapter 1, verse 14, let's go there. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to remember that phrase, full of grace and truth. You know, when God became one of us, Jesus, the eternal God, became at a specific point in time a human being. That's when he was born into this world. God with skin on and he lived among humans, not losing his deity. So he was 100% God, 100% man. And again, it's hard for our finite minds to comprehend that, but that's who he was. He became one of us while remaining God. And this action is called, and you've probably heard this big fancy word before, the incarnation. That's what it's talking about. When God becomes flesh, born as Jesus. Um, in this verse, John equates the word with Jesus and, and clearly defines what the word is. You know, John, and we talked about this last week, was an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. He was there. He was on the inner sanctum. 
you know, he saw Jesus' awesomeness as the unique son of God, which is what he was. And he was a son in a way that humans can't be because he was God. He is eternal. He's of the same essence as God the Father because we have a triune God. None is better than the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, God three in one. Um, he's eternal, so the same essence of God the Father. Full of grace and truth. Remember I said to remember that. It means the same as abounding in goodness and truth. When uh, Back in Exodus, I'm going to put it up there. Um, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. I show you that to show you that there's consistency in the scripture when it talks about who God is. And it's good for you to see that. There is that scripture that says God is the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, but it's also good to see throughout scripture that everything lines up, that you haven't got different tangents saying different things. But right through the Bible, the message of who God is, is that he is abounding in goodness or grace and truth. Uh, Merrill Chapin Tenney was an American professor of New Testament and Greek and author of several books, and he put it this way. I like how he put it. He expressed himself in a human personality that was visible, audible, and tangible. He partook of flesh and blood with its limitations of space and time and with its physical handicaps of fatigue, hunger, and susceptibility to suffering so that he belonged to humanity, but he also belonged to God. Fully God, fully man. So he experienced life just as you and I do. He, he had those things, fatigue, hunger, suffering. He encountered those. And what makes that even more special is that he can relate to you. God came in flesh with skin on so that he could not only reveal himself to you, but then he could experience what you experience. And that's important because relationship. When you have a relationship with someone, you need to go through shared experience, don't you? You can't be in a relationship with someone that has no idea about who you are and what you feel and what you experience. But God does know because he sent Jesus for you as flesh, to experience and encounter the same things that you experience. You know, for John to say that God became a human being was quite a radical concept at that time. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Jewish people believed humans couldn't become gods. And vice versa, gods couldn't become humans. So it was quite, you know, cutting edge at the time. Um, Greek philosophers also taught that what is invisible is far more important than what we can see and touch. So the invisible God is like, whoa, but, but here's Jesus saying he's God in the flesh. Well, that's not as, that's against the teaching um, of the Greek philosophers. So to announce that the word became flesh was quite, you know, and dwelt among us was quite an outside of the box thought. Uh, it probably still is today. People still getting a grasp of and getting their head around. Jesus, who is God, became a baby who cried who burped, probably messed his nappies just like every other baby. Uh, it's true. He grew. It's like my dad always said that the queen never goes to the toilet. I don't know. It's just it's a silly little thing. And, and so in our heads we think, well, Jesus is holy and perfect. He wouldn't need to go to the bathroom or anything because God would have just supernaturally removed the refuse from his body. Anyway, as a baby, he would have messed up nappies. He would have done number threes. Who knows what number threes are? Parents? Yeah, there's a, there's a nervous giggle over there. That's like the explosion that's like the, anyway. He grew into a child who probably played, you know, in the mud, probably made enemies, 
broke girls' hearts. I don't know. He was probably attractive, good-looking. I don't know. He worked with his hands. He lost his earthly father. He got tired. He got hungry. He experienced all the things that we experience. You know, Jesus is fully God and fully human. Let's apply it. He didn't give up being God with all his perfection. And because he became a man, he understands our limitations and our temptations. And I think that's so good. So he can help us get through the tough times if we ask him to. And that's what's important. We've got to ask for his help. All right. Let's read John uh, 15, verse 18. Uh, No, 15 to 18, the verses. 15 to 18, chapter 1. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through um, Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is the bosom, in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This is a real, uh, and you'd be familiar with this saying, out with the old, in with the new moment. Because we're talking about the law given through Moses, and then Jesus Christ comes full of grace and full of mercy. You know, since they continue this narrative about John the Baptist, uh, even though this John was born six months before Jesus, and this is important, you might say, well, what does that matter? But John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus and began his ministry first, we know that Jesus was more important. In the culture on the day, uh, you know, he existed long before John was conceived. Obviously, Jesus was there at the beginning of time. Uh, but the statement was radical in Jesus' day since people believed that what came first chronologically was superior. So all the older siblings said, Amen. Who's the older sibling? I am. There's one there. There's a, there's a few. So we know we are superior because we came chronologically first. And so by default, it doesn't matter if our younger siblings are better at things. I'm the oldest. So suck it up, princesses, and deal with, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the shortest. Are you the oldest? I'm the oldest. Yeah, but that doesn't matter because height's irrelevant because you are more superior because you came first. So from Jesus, we've received lots of blessings. Would you agree? God's grace and favour towards us, uh, which we don't deserve. We can't earn it. It's given uh, without expectation of needing to jump through hoops and check boxes and do the right thing. Um, His grace and mercy can never be exhausted and there's an unlimited supply of it. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he never runs out? That his mercies are new every morning. So God gave the law... We talked about this a bit before, the Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Bible. And he gave them to Moses and his people to show them his standards of right behavior and right attitudes. But if anyone could keep the law, which we know is impossible because we can't keep the law, doing so wouldn't make that person still a child of God. Because it's not about keeping the law. It's about relationship with Christ who fulfilled the law on our behalf. So... In contrast to the law, Jesus showed us God's attitude, which is love and faithfulness. God is faithful and God loves you first. Those are his uh, attitudes. And although God is invisible and no human can see him unless he reveals himself, 
to them, he has made himself known to us through Jesus. So when you say, oh, I've never seen God, well, you can read about Jesus in the Word, which is God in the flesh, and you can glean from that. And you're not physically seeing him with your eyes, but you're learning about God in the flesh. You know, when Jesus made God known, he told God's story. That's why he came, disclosing who he is and giving a trustworthy account of himself. Again, John asserted that Jesus is God and he existed before he was born on the earth. So John ends this session really coming full circle um, to how he began it, writing about the Word who was in the beginning with God. John could have had a big ego being older, being like God chose me to introduce Messiah. He could have been very inflated, very, you know, over the top. But God chose him to introduce Jesus to the Jewish people, but he did it in a humble way. He didn't big note himself. He didn't make a big deal of who he was. He did his job of telling people to repent and of introducing people to Jesus. And really, is that not what we, as Christian believers, should also do? No one in this room, of course, but some people can get a little overinflated with their faith and you know, God loves me and chose me and, and I'm here telling you this information and I'm going to make a big deal about who I am because I'm so amazing. And, you know, you, you might have even met people like that, that are a little bit inflated, they've got a bit of an ego. That, that's not God's way. God's way is humility before honour and pointing people to Jesus, leading people to a point of repentance and introducing them to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. That's our task. And so are we signed up? I hope we're signed up. Amen. Let's talk about, uh, we're going to read now, John chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. This is where John the Baptist gets a little radical now. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but... Uh, confessed, I am not the Christ. They were hoping he was, so they could take him out. Uh, (laughs) And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? In other words, they don't want to go back empty-handed. So tell us something. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, I'm the one that's making the way for Messiah to come and I want to point people to him when he gets here. Uh, And that's as the prophet Isaiah said. So in his day, he would have been considered a very radical preacher, a very radical preacher. I'll tell you why. He wasn't your normal preacher. He lived in the desert. So straight away, (laughs) that makes him a bit different. He ate locusts and wild honey. Tasty stuff. He wore a camel hair robe and he told people to get their act together. (laughs) His lifestyle and message attracted a lot of attention. He's quite loud. He drew crowds. That's why a committee of religious leaders, the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem, went out to the desert Um, of Judea to investigate him. They wanted to suss this guy out. He's a bit different. I don't know. Maybe they think he's a 
sandwich short of a picnic or a bit of a screw loose or whatever. He was obviously different to the way they presented law. Uh, So they piled John with all these questions and he clearly answered. Now, of course, since John wasn't acting normally, they wanted to know who he was. They wanted to suss him out. And keep in mind that in this season, before Jesus has revealed himself, it's like Messiah fever. It's like, who's the Messiah? We've got to find out. They're on the lookout. They're waiting. They're expecting. So it's crazy. Messiah fever. Everyone's wanting to know, when is he coming? Everyone was looking for the Messiah who would free the Jewish people from Roman rule. So first John denied he was um, the expected Messiah. He said no to that. Second, he denied he was Elijah, an Old Testament prophet who the people uh, thought would come back to announce the Messiah. Then he denied that he was the prophet, another name for the expected Messiah. So they're, they're trying all these different angles. You know, when the leaders ran out of true false questions, uh, they finally asked, well, who are you? <laughs> John answered by calling himself the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Let's read John chapter 1, 24 to 28. It says this. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Trying to take him down. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So essentially, John has declared, I'm a nobody compared to this person that's coming. You have no idea what's ahead. I'm a nobody. These big shots didn't go to find John the Baptist so they could be preached at. They weren't going to listen to his teachings. Once they found out who he was, they wanted to know, what are you doing? We need to report back to our religious leaders. Why are you baptizing? You know, it was customary for religious leaders to baptize Gentiles who converted to Judaism, but they didn't baptize Jewish people like like John was doing. And, And so in doing that, John treated Jewish people like pagans, which was unheard of and offensive. That's why these religious leaders were stirred up. They're like, who does this person think he is? Baptizing people. Under whose authority does he think he operates? So in answer to the Pharisees' question, John pointed his inquisitors to Jesus, whose ministry would follow his, and who was a much greater person than he. In fact, John said he was a nobody in comparison to Jesus. And and he said that because untying sandals was a job that belonged to the least important household servant. And here is John saying, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandals. That's how incredible this next person coming is. I'm a nobody. Let's continue. Verses 29 to 31. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. This is he of whom I said... After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. John was born six months earlier, but John knows that Jesus was in the beginning. That's key. 
I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Again, he refers to, I came to prepare, to let you know that Messiah is coming. So the day after the religious leaders have questioned John, Jesus shows up while John was baptizing and preaching. And John introduces him as the Lamb of God. What an introduction. It's not, this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, this is royalty, this is, you know, rock star, whatever. This is the Lamb of God. Not the great God of the universe or the creator who created everything, just the Lamb of God. You know, the Jewish people to whom he was preaching would have recognized that title, Lamb of God, although many didn't get the true meaning of it at that time. They were used to sacrificing lambs as a means to gain forgiveness for their sins. But they weren't expecting this human lamb. It's not what they thought Messiah was going to come. You know, there was all this talk, Messiah is going to be this army leader or this big authority, big buff, you know, guns on his guns, kind of whatever, big, huge, whatever, coming in stature and royalty, whatever. But Jesus clearly wasn't coming as any of those things. John clearly identified Jesus as the person to whom he referred to earlier, the one that was going to come before him, who was even greater, um, even though he came later than John physically on this earth. And the people of Jesus' day, especially the religious leaders, uh, had certain expectations about the Messiah, as I just said. You know, that God had promised to send this great man, Because of their political situation, they were looking for a political leader and that didn't, uh, they didn't recognize him as a lamb. (laughs) Like a lamb, what? You know, for us, a lamb, we eat a roast lamb on a Sunday, a lamb, I don't know. But this lamb would die for their sins. You know, have, this is a good challenge for all of us in the room and I don't think anybody here would have gone down this pathway, but who knows? Have your religious expectations of who you think Jesus is, kept you from seeing the real Jesus? It's a good challenge to ourselves, isn't it? What are my expectations of Jesus? Is it blocking what I actually should be seeing? It's good to think about that. All right, John chapter 1, verse 32 to 34 says this. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Can you imagine being there, seeing this moment? I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with the water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Wow. Jesus was John's cousin, John the Baptist. And they probably spent a lot of time together as children and teens. When they were children, John didn't know Jesus was God's son. He didn't discover that truth until Jesus came to him for baptism. God's sign that Jesus was the son of God, the lamb, was the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Again, can you imagine being there, just seeing this dove just come and, and, and be part of that moment? You know, it's like it almost alighted Jesus. It's like a light shone down. And when John baptized him, and and just in case John missed the sign, God sends his audible voice 
as well. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Wow. Can you imagine being there? Would you just want to go and tell everyone or would you want to keep it to yourself because you're a bit, I don't know, you don't want people to think you're a bit of a loony. <laughs> you know, you're going into, I heard this voice come from nowhere and this dove came down and it was God saying that this was his son. People are going to look at you like, conspiracy theorists, come on, what are you going on about? That, that happens today, doesn't it? Witnessing that scene would be amazing. Hearing God's voice out loud would be incredible. But many of us would have been tempted, I think, to perhaps keep it to ourselves or keep it on the, on the lay low uh, so people wouldn't think we were going crazy. Uh, but not John. He was already crazy, <laughs> a radical preacher. He didn't care. Once he knew who Jesus really was, John told everyone who would listen and did so with confidence. And shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be confident in who Jesus is? All right, verses 35 to 39. We're getting there. Look for the dove, the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remind, remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. So Jesus now is starting his recruitment agency and he's gathering disciples unto himself. And on the third day, John recorded of this week, John the Baptist again appointed people to Jesus, the Lamb of God, because that's what his, he knew his place. He pointed people. He wasn't precious about releasing people to Jesus. He didn't want to keep his team in his circle. And well, they're mine. You can't have them. He, he, he was more than happy to release. Um, you know, he pointed out, hey, look, there's Jesus. Don't miss him. Go with him. John, who wrote this book, and Andrew were two of John the Baptist's disciples. And they were with him at the time that this all happened. They immediately left John and followed Jesus. An action that actually pleased John. He wasn't precious at all. Now, to be sure Andrew and John followed him for the right reasons, Jesus then asks them what they're after. Well, what do you want? Seeking their heart. What's your heart? Instead of answering, they asked him where he was staying, implying that, you know, if you're busy, uh, perhaps we can talk later, so we'll come to you. Uh, but Jesus invited them to spend the evening with him since it was the 10th hour. That's about 4 p.m. Uh, so no doubt he answered their questions and told them, about his ministry and filled them in on the great opportunities that lied ahead. You know, John didn't mind taking second place. And we've got to have that attitude too. We don't always have to be the big boss, the big person at the front, the one that's leading. You know, instead of holding on to first, which sometimes we can do, John encouraged his disciples to leave him and go follow Jesus. And John wasn't the possessive or jealous type. And we can glean a lot from John, I think. Uh, you know, God can bring people into our world for a season. I mean, I think of the eight years. We've been here eight years um, now, which that's gone by super fast. But we've been here eight years. And in that time, we've seen great people come and go, and not for bad reasons. Stanthorpe's transient. They come here. They've got to leave for work or whatever. We've had amazing people. Now, if we were precious, Anita and I, and I don't think we're precious. <laughs> Let me know if we are. But if we were precious, 
you know, we'd, we'd want to hold on to them and discourage them wanting to go away and, and, and even try and play God in their lives. Well, we'll never do that. We'll never play God in your life. If, if someone feels, oh, God's calling me to go to this place to get this job and move away, well, I'm not God, so I can't dispute that. So if you ever want to argue with a pastor, you just go, God told me. That, that's just a little, seek, little tip for you because the pastor can't argue back with that. I mean, they, they might try, but I never try. As soon as someone says, God told me, well, I've got to trust that God's speaking to that person. That's all I can do. Um, look, if something doesn't feel right inside, I'll, I, I speak up. But I always emphasize, I'm not God. This is how I'm feeling. Maybe it's just me, but this is how I'm feeling. Let you know, you decide. So we've got to be following God's voice in our lives. Because we're not precious. If we were precious, we'd make you listen. No, this is what we think you need to do this. We'd be controlling and manipulative. And, and that's what being like that's like. We're not like that, I hope. You'd tell me if I was, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, Ross would. <laughs> that's all good. All right, let's keep going. Jesus, the recruiter, he went on his recruitment spree. Verse 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So this is the, this is the two for one special <laughs> Jesus has taken advantage of now. Uh, Andrew was so impressed with Jesus that he hunted up his brother, Simon, who later got renamed to Peter, to tell him who Jesus was, the Messiah that they were looking for. And they weren't expecting God's son, but rather a king who would free from the Roman rule and set up God's kingdom of peace. So Andrew, like John the Baptist, was a good second-place player, except at this point. You know, throughout the Gospels, he lived in the shadow of his brother Peter, uh, but only here did he come first, where he went and told his brother about Jesus. Starting with his brother Andrew developed a reputation for bringing people to Jesus. And, and really, is that not the calling that we have on our lives? To just bring people to Jesus. We don't have to, we don't have to play first place. We're happy, happily second place. That's fine. Someone else can lead. And what, but I'm just going to do my role, my calling, which is to lead people uh, to know and to the knowledge of who Jesus is. You know, when Peter met Jesus, Jesus was already, um, he already knew who Peter was because he's Jesus, uh, he's God. Uh, he didn't just glance at Peter or look at his body, he read his heart. He read his heart. And then he changed Simon's name to Peter in the Greek, or Cephas, Cephas, however you want to pronounce it, in Aramaic, which means a rock. Somebody that's steady and strong. He changed his name. Jewish people who lived in Palestine spoke Aramaic. Um, however, most of those who lived outside of the land spoke Greek. So that's why we're covering off them both there. But that's why John translated the word Messiah and Simon's new name into a, other languages as well. It would take a few years for Peter to live up to that name, that being the rock. But he gets there. We, we know if you know the, the account, he, he ends up being the rock in which the church is built. When Andrew heard what John the Baptist said about Jesus, he believed Jesus was the promised Messiah. Pretty much like that. Then he went to find his brother to tell him. And if you'd been there, I wonder what you would have done. Could you not have waited to go and tell your family? It's a challenge, isn't it? 
What, would, what do we do with the message of Jesus in our lives? You know, Jesus doesn't see how we are now either. He doesn't see you. When we come to him, um, and most of us have gone through some sort of salvation experience, when we come to him, he doesn't see you as you are there. He sees you, what you're going to be down the track. He, he also knows all of our possibilities, what we can become if we trust him. He sees that version of you. And he will help to realize those possibilities to become all that God's made you to be. You've just got to seek after him. Change your life. Turn about face from where you were before. Make him your Lord and Savior. Surrender your life to him. You can't fulfill God's law on your own. You need a Savior. And when you choose to accept Jesus, then that's when your new life begins. And all the possibilities, all the things that God sees you, that potential all of a sudden becomes available to you and you walk into that. Now, we're still on that journey. Some of us haven't made it to where God intends us to be. But you know what? We're still walking. Keep walking forward. Keep trusting him and he'll lead and guide you. He doesn't see you where you're at right now. He sees you what you can become. So trust him. All right. We're coming to a close. Verse 43 and 46. Trisha's excited that we're coming to a close. No, it's all right. I know. I know. I know. It's all right. The following day, absolutely. This is like the, you know, you're eating your popcorn and you just drop it everywhere because it's like, this is the amazing part. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, there it is, the city of Andrew and Peter. Uh, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> well, the answer is yes, but uh, say what? <laughs> That's what he's saying. As Jesus continued recruiting disciples, he traveled north into the region called Galilee. And there he called Philip, who also followed him immediately. And Philip in turn, looked for his friend Nathaniel to tell him about Jesus. Isn't this cool? This is like people are now, the word is out, and people are finding out about this Jesus. First, Philip said Jesus was the one whom Moses wrote about in the law. And then second, Philip said Jesus was the one whom the prophets wrote about. Moses and the prophets is one way Jewish people referred to the whole of the Old Testament. Uh, then third, Philip said he was Jesus of Nazareth indicating the place where Jesus grew up. And then lastly, fourth, Philip said Jesus was the son of jo Joseph, indicating his humanity. He was a human. So Nathaniel was doubtful because of where Jesus came from. You can think of a town right now. You don't need to name it. We don't want to offend anybody. But there's a town where, you know, it's just a bunch of bogans live there. I don't know. It's just one of those towns where all the lowlifes, all the... Don't say the name of the town. It's not Stanthorpe, praise the Lord. But, you know, you're thinking of a town right now, most of you have got, you're like, yeah, oh, that place. I, I, I ne if I drive through there, I don't stop at the traffic lights. You know, I just keep going. You know what I'm talking about. So, so yeah, 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 that's it. So Nathaniel is blinded to who Jesus is because he was born in a place that not much good came out of. You know, they were considered to be from the other side of the tracks, people from there. You know, instead of trying to convince Nathaniel with arguments, Philip echoed Jesus' words, come and see for yourself. Come and see. Come and look. 
You know, when Jesus began his public ministry, he called a group of men to follow him and they spent time with him, they watched him work and they told others about him. And Jesus is still looking for people to do those exact same things today. Are we one of them? I pray that we are. I pray that we want to see and learn what Jesus... That's why we're going through the Gospel of John. We're hungry to learn what Jesus taught, what he did, what he was like, because it's going to help us in our life. So let's read 47 to 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is just the beginning. This is just the start of what God wants to do on the planet through his son, Jesus. You know, even before the introductions, Jesus saw Nathaniel and knew who he was, just as he knew Simon Peter the day before. In calling Nathaniel an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit, Jesus was referring to one of the fathers of Judaism, Jacob. Jacob was a trickster, but after he met God, God changed his name to Israel, which means prince with God. Jesus' knowledge of him, including the fact that deceit was not part of his lifestyle, convinced Nathanael that Jesus was who Philip claimed, God's son, the king of Israel, or Messiah. Jesus acknowledged Nathanael's belief in him and told him more revelations were to come. And following through on the reference to Jacob, who had a dream about angels going up and down a ladder between heaven and earth, Jesus told Nathanael that he too would see angels going up and down as a bridge between heaven and earth. Nathanael would witness Jesus as a ladder between man and God. That's who Jesus is. You know, when was the last time you talked to someone who greeted you with a statement about your character. You know, Nathaniel's conversation with Jesus certainly wasn't one you hear every day. The fact that Jesus knew the kind of person he was, where he was, what he had been doing, it drew Nathaniel to him. You know, Nathaniel immediately recognized Jesus as God's son, the promised Messiah, and you know what? He followed Jesus. May we all get to that place where we want to follow Jesus because of who he is, because of our need of him, because of a revelation of what he's done for us. Who wouldn't want to follow someone that gave his life for them? May we all find that place. Let's wrap up the chapter because chapter one is done. We're getting there. It's good. Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem. That's what we shared at the start. He created the world and everything that's in it. John the Baptist's ministry was to introduce people to Jesus to testify to who he was. That's the role he played. Jesus came to offer eternal life to people, but many of his own Jewish people didn't recognize who he was and consequently rejected him. Jesus, who is God, became a man to show us what God is like, God with skin on. John the Baptist introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God who would later die to take away their sins. And lastly, Jesus recruited the first of 12 disciples to be with him learn from him 
and tell others about him. I'm looking forward to learning more about how Jesus taught his disciples and what he taught them. Because are we not followers of Christ today? We are his disciples in the modern day. And so I'm looking forward to that. Because you know what? Jesus, with Jesus, there's a true and better way through him. Can we get the lights? I'm going to play a video. Let's make sure the sound is up too. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. It's powerful, isn't it? The whole story, it's a series of interconnected stories that point us to Jesus. And so we find ourselves at that place today. We have the opportunity to accept Jesus, who He is, what He's done for us, standing in the gap for us where we couldn't fulfill the law in our own strength, but Jesus came.
and made a way for us to be right with God again. I'm so glad we have a saviour, aren't you? And so we always at Vineyard Christian Church give opportunity for people to say yes to Jesus. So would you just bow your heads right where you are? If you're tuning in online at home, this is an opportunity for you as well to say yes to Jesus. He came because we needed a saviour. We can't meet the standard of God's law. We can't fulfill them in our own strength. You know, we lie. We, 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 just, we can be deceitful. We, we, perhaps we've stolen before. Perhaps we've looked lustfully at someone. I mean, no one's pointing fingers right now, but what I'm pointing out is that we can't meet God's perfect standard. We need a saviour. And so I want to encourage you today to consider where are you at with God? You know, when you, when you die, where are you going? Do you have that assurance that believers have when they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, that they know where they're going. And not just it's not just about eternity, although that's very important, but it's about how we live our life in this time as well. Jesus came that we might be free from condemnation and guilt. We need a Saviour to lift us out of that pit and break those chains that so strongly and firmly hold us back from all that God wants us to be. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus called it born again. You can be born again. And not a reborn out of your mother's womb. Not sure many mothers would be happy to rebirth us at the size we are right now. But a new life awaits when you accept Jesus. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, we're not looking around, but Christians are praying right now. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord, as your uh, Saviour, would you just show me your hand? And I want to include you in a prayer this morning. Yep, I see that hand. If you're online at home, just lift up your hand. I don't necessarily need to physically see it, but God sees your heart. Perhaps you've done it before and you want to recommit your life because you're not sure of where you're at. Maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you've dabbled in things you shouldn't have. Well, this is your day to get right with Jesus. So throw your hand up and love to include you. I see the hands over there as well. That's great. Let's just say this simple prayer. Look, there's nothing magical about this prayer. You're not joining this church, but you're joining the kingdom of heaven when you declare this. So just say it after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you came and that you died for me and have made a way for me to be forgiven of all my sin, my wrong choices, the bad things I've done. I now confess with my mouth that you are my Lord. I now choose to believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. You conquered sin and death after taking the punishment that I deserved. And so I praise you I thank you and I choose to live my life for you from this day forward in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, Amen. Can we just thank God because some people have responded today. I'm enjoying this. I think it's going to be good for us as a church to go through this together. And so let's make sure that we're... um, don't miss a Sunday. You miss a Sunday, you can't, it's like you miss out a bit of the story. So just be here. Uh, and if you're online, tune in online. 
uh, share the links with people that, that need to hear about Jesus because that's what we're doing at the moment. Hey, a few things just before I close our meeting. Gone a little bit over, but you still love me, uh, I hope. Uh, so uh, don't forget to fill out those forms to volunteer.